And good morning and welcome to the Skinny for Friday, December 15th. I'm Mitch Perry, the senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix. And I'm joined today, as always, by my two co-hosts, freelance reporter Ben Montgomery and creative loafing editor-in-chief Ray Roa. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mitch. All right. So happy holidays, everybody. Um, later in the program, we're going to speak with a Tampa Bay Times reporter who is the answer to the question about why are some elected officials serving in Pinellas County cities have either recently left office or will do so by the end of this year. It's all about a proposal that came from Tallahassee that has led one of these officials to decry it as, quote, legislative overreach on steroids. But first, we're going to talk to Tampa City Councilman Louis Vieira, who is right now, other than Charlie Miranda, the longest-serving councilman on the council, as it were. Uh, he has been with the city council since December of 2016, when he won by just 65 votes over Jim Davison in the District 7 race, which is, of course, represents New Tampa and North Tampa in a very intense battle. Louis Vieira, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Mitch, and everybody, and Ben and Ray. Real pleasure to be here. Awesome. Great to have you here. Um, so much to talk to you about. I want to, but I'm going to bring you up something that we're going to get, obviously, to many things that are going on in the city of Tampa in just a moment. But uh, on, a, on elections and on democracy, if you will, and that is you were recently on the losing end of a vote on the council. I don't know if I actually came to a vote um, that was about elections and voter participation. You know, folks, we talked about this, guys. We had actually a debate in the, in the, um, this, the studio here with Blake Casper and uh, Bill Carlson back before the primary. Uh, there, basically, nobody votes in these Tampa municipal elections. I mean, the participation rate is really horrible. Uh, in the April election, the official election, there was the run, the well, the runoff, as it were. There was less than twenty six thousand people who voted. That's out of two hundred forty thousand registered voters. It was a little bigger in March. Uh, but not by that much, 32,839, according to Hillsborough County Supervisor of Elections Office. So, folk, you know, St. Petersburg used to do the same thing. They used to have their elections in the springtime, but they, then they changed it to the fall, and now they're going to have it on the election years, you know, like the 22, 26 cycle, if you will. Uh, Louis Vieira, you wanted to, to do, talk about doing something like that here in Tampa. Talk about that. Yeah, so I, I got the idea from my good friend, uh, Matt Newton, who's a great guy. If you all know Matt, he's a, he, Andrew Warren, one of Andrew Warren's attorneys and just a great guy. And the idea was to have municipal elections during even years because we get higher turnout. Um, we would save taxpayers money. I believe it is three quarters of a million dollars every four years because we pay the supervisor election that much money so that we can have uh, a, a municipal election in, in, in odd years. Um, and we get more turnout. And we did a study into it, and it turned out that the lower income your your precinct is, the more diverse your precinct is, then the higher of the reduction you're going to get from the even year to the odd year, right? So in other words, areas like Bayshore, like Tampa Palms, aren't going to get that much of a reduction. They're going to have a disproportionate bigger effect in municipal elections. So for me, it was about equity and about just inclusion. And by the way, look, I've always said this. I just want more people to turn out. I don't care if they're Republicans or Democrats. We want to hear from everybody. In the municipal elections, the city of Tampa pays up to three quarters of a million dollars to have fewer people turn out in effect. It makes no sense. Hmm. So I think time is on our side on that issue, just like happened in Pinellas County. And again, some some people on city council, good folks didn't see that way. I think inevitably we're gonna get there. Yeah, I mean, we saw, we heard, I was looking at the Times reporting on this. Uh, Bill Carlton said, absolutely no way. I don't know hmm. why he said that. Alan Clendenin said, told the Times, quote, we're never gonna break through the noise. I would say to uh, Councilman Clendenin, who I have the utmost respect for, 
Um, are you breaking through it now, Alan? Um, the fact is, again, let's repeat those numbers. I mean, in the fall, uh, let's see, in, um, let's see, what was it? Do I have these numbers here about, yeah, okay. Now, again, this is the presidential election. You wouldn't be at the presidential election years, right? Are, are you talking about so, that? So yeah. it's funny, actually, you mentioned that because in my first race, I was on the ballot with six other people with Trump, Hillary, Marco Rubio, everybody. My name was the last one on the ballot, by the way. And we got about, and gosh, I don't wanna misstate something, but about as many votes in District 7, which is known to be the sleepiest district in the city of Tampa, about as many people as would vote four years later, two and a half years later, in a very contested mayor's race. That's amazing. So, so, but we would not be in presidential no, so elections, like, gubernatorial. Like, like the senatorial, yeah. the 22 or 26 or yep. 30, right. And so, right, so I, I can see, you know, why some uh, people would say, oh, we're going to get, nobody's going to be thinking about us. We've got, uh, you know, a presidential race and we've got county commission and we've got the judges, we've got the state legislators. Well, one thing on the, on some of those races, judges, people don't even know who they're voting for. Okay, um, state legislators, I would dare say that local people know more who their city council member is mm-hmm. than they know who state senator or representative. So I don't know about that. Yeah, okay, if it's a Senate race, a governor's race, there's going to be competition for the, the viewer's mind, if you will. But again, look at these numbers, and it's nothing new. The fact, I mean, I've been, uh, I used to cover Tampa City elections back, you know, uh, the 2011 election, especially uh, that was a one in 2003 mm-hmm. with Pam Iorio. Um, and they're always consistently and very poorly yep. uh, at, at participation. And why would you, again, yeah, why would you not want to make that pull open? And you know that you're going to get more. If you go, again, St. Petersburg, what, the city of St. Pete recently voted now. They're going to mm-hmm. do what, what you want to do yep. uh, here, Lewis. Uh, but what city of St. Pete did, when I first moved to uh, Saint, the, the Pay Area 20 years ago, St. Pete was doing the same thing as Tampa. They were having them in the springtime. And then they moved them. They still had them in, the, in like 2000, you know, the off, off years, the 2001, 2005, but in the fall. So people yep. have a more of a thought about November, right? There still are elections. Sometimes they're really small, tiny elections in November. But there's still even every year, there's sometimes going on in November. Our brains are trained that way. So you think that in the long haul, you're going to be successful in this? I think so. And again, we could have it in the primary like the school board does in August before November, right? And again, if it's good enough for the county commission, it's good enough for the school board, it's good enough for our judges, for the love of God. Why, why would it, What's so special about city council? That's what I feel to understand. And people go, well, we'll have to fundraise more. So be it. And by the way, in my first race, I think I fundraised like 130000 Dr. Jim Davison, who you mentioned, I outspent that guy six to one. And I beat him by 65 points or votes, not points. Yeah, votes. 65 votes. So yeah. there is no causal connection between fundraising. You mentioned Carlson and, and Casper. Boom. I mean, you know what I mean? There, there often is no causal connection there. Again, if you're just tuning in, it's 1113 in the morning. We've got the city councilman. Hey, uh, Luis Vieira here until well, the end of the half hour. I'm curious what listeners think about this yeah, issue. Let's get yeah, open the phones wonder, at yeah. 813-239-9663. Also, you can email us at dj at, uh, no, excuse me, yeah, dj at um, Can I, uh, let me ask you, you mentioned the county commission, uh, councilman. Um, you know, thinking about the widening gap of, of Republicans and Democrats mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to voter registration. Obviously, city council elections are nonpartisan. You mentioned just mm-hmm. wanting more people to turn out. But thinking about those down-ballot voters and the way that kind of unfolded in the county commission, uh, you serve with some of these new people uh, on the heart board. Yeah. Um, 
is it can you see how like maybe some Democrats strategically would be afraid of this uh, kind sure. of thing? My thing is, though, when it comes to getting out numbers of voters, party <clears throat> partisanship shouldn't matter. I'm against, for example, the county commission doing their own gerrymandering. I'm against the legislature, whether it's in Florida or Massachusetts, doing their own. Uh, uh, voters should be picking electeds, not vice versa. That That's what I say. So, again, regardless of the party, I think that principle should exist. Uh, Ray, you just mentioned heart. So, Lewis, you are you're the heart chair now? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay, so yep. heart's got a multitude of issues. Oh, yeah. Where do we even <laughs> really? begin with this? Um, and I'm thinking this because PSTA, there's been a yeah. lot of news lately about them and what... Uh, Renee Flowers. Uh, right. And yeah. also uh, Representative Lynn Ch- was, uh, Linda Cheney and trying to change yeah. the, the composition of that uh, that board there. But over in heart, there's, you know, there's just a lot of problems there. We know that. What, what do we... You know, funding is always a big issue. What's the number one thing that Hart needs to address? So that's a great question. So I endorsed in 18 and, and campaigned hard for AFT, did the same thing in 22. Hart was central to that. Now we got that half a billion dollars, you know, just waiting in the legislature. Right. For me, Hart obviously needs more money. But before we go to the voters and ask more money, we got to have transparency. We got to win the trust of voters. I think that we've started that by having Scott Drainville, who's our CEO, who I think is a great guy and I think is doing a great, great job, have a lot of trust. And Scott, um, and is reassuring voters saying that before we ask you for more money, that we're going to, you know, get your trust. That is so pivotal. And also reminding people of the hard work that Hart does. Our workers at Hart, that means our dispatchers, that means our, our mechanics, our drivers, our operators, who are the, the middle of the middle class in Hillsborough County, right? And then the people that they serve, working families, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, people with disabilities, veterans getting to the VA, et cetera. So my job as Hart chairman has been to, number one, try to unite our board. And I got to give our board credit because, you know, with with Miss Legrand, our former CEO, leaving some of our new members could have took some political hits there. And to date, they haven't. And I salute them for that 100 um, percent. And then winning trust and then working with Tallahassee. Uh, I went last year to Tallahassee because of a bill that Senator or State Representative McClure and, and State Senator uh, Burgess did on uh, uh, potentially looking at phasing out heart. We were able to work with them on that and we continue to work with them. So for me, it's about gaining trust and credibility, transparency, but also getting more money for heart. Question. Um, so all for transportation for certain people, that is the ultimate trigger word and can just make somebody oh, yeah, cringe. Sure. But in a lot of ways, it's it's a long ways away. It's, it's a long mm-hmm. time. Have you been able to talk much with Stacey White and get any kind of a temperature? He's gone, on? by the way. Tennessee. Yeah, like, yeah, as, he's in Tennessee. But do you sense any kind of regret from him as, as all this so has kind of unfolded? I don't, I don't know Stacey, former Commissioner White, very well. But, uh, you know, I, I think we have to look at the future on that, which is in 2018, in a blue year, Right, we got what fifty-seven percent of people in Hillsborough County supporting it. Two thousand and twenty-two, we had a lawsuit. Uh, it it uh, was found to be successful in the circuit court. But even with that, in a year where it was a red wave in Hillsborough County, um, the the AFT almost passed. I think it was half a point. So right. I do think that people say. Please raise my taxes for better roads. That's Republicans, that's Democrats, that's independents. It is inevitable that it's going to happen 
It just got to be done the right way. <laughs> we have a note, by the way, on the, with the election issue we were talking about a moment mm-hmm. ago. Uh, David writes, and I'm, city, I'm a city of Tampa homeowner and voter, and I feel that the city elections should definitely be in the fall. It's ridiculous to hold separate city elections in the spring. Even the local media mostly ignore these spring elections. True, true mm-hmm. that. Uh, and he, he asks, what is Mr. Vieira's take on the Taj Mahal Tampa Service Center that opened on <laughs> Hannah Avenue? Quote, this seems, let me finish this. He says, this seems like a boondoggle, and the money could have been better spent on other infrastructure projects. Now, that's the 108 million dollar project that originally was budgeted at 10 million dollars 12 million so so what happened was originally we had the design which was given to a certain contractor city council voted on that right and then the city attorney's office for uh the mayor found that they could continue to go with the same contractor for the hundred million dollars that passed seven to zero in city council. I think some of us wish that we had had more, how shall I say, scrutiny of it before, especially on on a number of issues. My thing is, this is here. We got to look forward to the future. I'll tell you one thing that did come out of that, which is we bonded that city center. We also bonded a lot of the new park in East Tampa, which is, I think, a great addition for East Tampa. So I go after the tax failed. I go, we need all these fire stations. If we're bonding city center and we're bonding parks, why the hell can't we bond new fire stations, right? So that is something I think is good, by the way, um, that, that kind of came out of that. So, you know, that will hopefully wind up being something that's very, very good for the city of Tampa um, and, and whatnot. I, I do know that, again, a lot of people wish that we had as a, and again, I'm, I'm one of them, yeah. um, had been able to inquire more. I'll be, again, and I'm very honest and I have very little filter. I remember when I voted for this in the back of my head going, I wonder if we should be asking some more questions on it. I go, well, Eric, nobody is. Uh, uh, you know, let's just do it. I'm being honest. I'm yeah. honest, okay? All right, all right. You know? I'll give you that. Okay, let's talk about the budget. Um, Mayor Castor's budget that you ultimately passed, but it was different than what she originally yeah. proposed. And I was reading a quote from you as I prepared for this interview, mm-hmm. and you said that you had never seen in all your years in public office <laughs> the public uprising against uh, the mayor's proposed budget that included, at the time, a 16% millage increase mm-hmm. with new spending. Now, let me ask you about this. Um, because uh, you obviously, you, the, the mayor did not get everything she wanted that, in that initial iteration. How much outreach was there from her, her office? Because it, it brings back memories to me of the uh, Pure Project, or mm-hmm. which originally was called something else, but this whole idea of uh, uh, some call it the Toilet to Tap Project, sure. which I, you know some you know think it's a really horrible thing. Others think it's a serious thing that we may need to look at. Mm-hmm. But I always knew going back, I've reported on that particular issue with water going back to you know the 2008-9-10 era. I know it's something that Tampa people for a long range have had a serious. You know, they wanted mm-hmm. to do that. And I've always thought with that issue, man, you've got to do a lot of public education because the initial yeah. quote unquote Toyota tap is immediately revolting to people. Sure. But it, but there's some serious intention behind that. But I go back to this thing with the, the, the taxing. What's the, the deal with Mayor Castor mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of like making that 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 that, that sell to the public? Because it seems to me that there's something lacking there. Yeah. So, you know, the budget, I first found out about it by meeting with the mayor and finding out they were going to go for a whole mill, right? There were some council members who were supportive, some who were not. My position always stayed the same, which is I actually supported and proposed a small mill for public safety, um, which is part of it is those fire stations we're talking about. Um, I thought that in a time of runaway 10% inflation in, in, in Florida and the city of Tampa, 
um, you know, doubled uh, uh, property insurance rates, car insurance rates going up, that something like that was a little too much and we should take it piecemeal. A lot of the projects that were sought in there are wonderful, right? But it was too much. She was, with all due respect to the mayor, she was trying to fit a size 42 waist and size 38 pants, uh, maybe size 34 pants in this economy. You know what I mean? So, so I think that now, I did propose it was a 1.0. I did propose a 0.3, mm-hmm. right? And that failed miserably, about as miserably as my election plan, by the way. <laughs> because I, I, I thought that people paying $4 extra a month for, for better fire service well, would be well taken. Councilman Vieira, though, mm-hmm. like, again, the, 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 what do you think about the, the selling of this vote? Because sure. it is controversial. Like you oh, said, yeah. we're, we're going through tough times inflation-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, you know, so you, you really need, uh, elected officials need to really make that, that case. Yeah. Why are we going to do this? It's one of those things where the thing speaks for itself because it was introduced, immediately rejected by so much of the public because of pocketbook issues. Yeah. And there, uh, I think that the mayor thought that, listen, we're going to ask you to pay, uh, I forgot what it was, $20, $30, $40 on extra, a month extra, but this is what you're going to be getting. I don't think that the public ended up seeing that. And also the public, let's face it, is also used to politicians that tell them, hey, listen, you're going to get all these wonderful things. And guess what? You're not going to have to pay for it. It's like one of those uh, cookies and ice cream diets, right? So that's kind of what the public's used to. So that was also another challenge of it as well. But obviously that budget failed miserably politically. And it was a big, big, big hit for the mayor, obviously. But I sought to build a bridge there by cutting it down by 70% and saying that I do think people would be willing to pay more uh, for, for public safety. Council disagreed, and that's fine. <laughs> we are speaking with Tampa City Councilman Louis Vieira. I'm here with Ben Montgomery, Ray Roa here. Uh, we welcome, welcome your phone calls, 813-239-9663. A little over a year ago, you and co- three of your other colleagues, I believe it was, mm-hmm. yeah, Guido Menescalco, Charlie Miranda, mm-hmm. and former council member Joe Citro, voted to oppose allowing the citizenry an uh, opportunity to vote mm-hmm. on whether the city's Police Citizens Review Board, or CRB, mm-hmm. um, we, we talk, talk about yeah. that. Yeah, no. So there were a number of changes we were looking to make over the last few years. Things like body cameras, implicit bias training, 100% for those things. With a CRB, there were a number of changes, one of which um, there were three big ones. There was an attorney for the board, right, which I always supported that. Uh, The mayor had vetoed um, five uh, charter amendments, one of them being, uh, and I voted to override her on all five of those. Uh, and that includes an attorney for the board. And so I what, supported I think, that. what, four of them? How, the public voted for all, but one of Yes, those, right? and I forgot which one didn't pass. Yeah. But so then there were two other issues. One was a makeup of the board in terms of who gets to pick who right, on the board. Right. And, and, and it was, in the end, I think it was... Uh, council, it, it was off by like one vote. So for me, that was the big thing, though, was subpoena power, yeah. which is that my position as an attorney is is to give an unelected board subpoena power and potentially open criminal cases is wrong. And that and and the the benefit of that is outweighed by the potential detriment. But when it came to giving that board an independent attorney who doesn't report to the mayor, potentially under the city attorney's office and reports to the CRB, I was 100 percent for that. So, again, it, one thing I'm for. One thing I'm against. And we should mm-hmm. tell pe- folks, our listeners here, that CRBs may be going away. Oh, uh, and have you seen this oh, uh, report? Yeah. Uh, Jacksonville Republican Wyman Dugan, uh, the Florida House, he told the uh, Florida Times Union that civilian review panels add uncertainty, what's, quote, already a very stressful profession. It makes it more difficult to recruit future police officers. So they may be going away. I yeah. believe there's 21 in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have you know, criticized, like the one in Tampa, is not being, you know, having enough teeth, but it's there least um and it may go away 
Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, obviously oppose it. I mean, I voted to strengthen the CRB, and sometimes I was joking with somebody. I think Tallahassee folks have a drinking game on the most ridiculous bills that they can put just to just to you know troll yeah. so-called liberals. It's the dumbest. I mean, that one. Well, it's, it's such a troll, though. It actually happens when it comes to preemption. The, 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 on the one, what was that? On getting rid of the Democratic Party. You know the oh, one that yeah, if you try with. to take down a Confederate memorial, you're out of office. Again, it's part of a drinking game. This is much more serious, obviously, and I and. This does have some legs to it politically, but obviously would be opposed to that. That's ridiculous. There is government accountability is as American as James Madison, and that obviously should be true for law enforcement. And I think most people agree with that. And I'm sorry, I, I don't know how you talked about this kind of mm-hmm. in that vein on the dais, but what about being asked to say mom on like lawsuits, litigation, and specifically Department of Justice inquiries into the mm-hmm. city, which you guys sure. don't talk about now. Like personally, how does that feel for you as far as somebody mm-hmm. who has to interface with the public and constituents so, every day? two issues that have been brought up. There was the, the, the program that's been known as Biking While Black that came up before my time. One that did come up was the... Um, Crime-free housing. housing. And I'll tell you, as soon as I heard about that, a couple things came to my mind, which is police officers don't, God willing, right? Nobody signs up to do that, to go, hey, listen, a person in your house got arrested. We're going to tell your your landlord and we're going to kick you all out. So I I called up the mayor's people and said, look, I'm going to be coming out against this in a few days because I think it's terrible. And I did. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that was a terrible, terrible thing. I'm not sure in terms of where it's at on the litigation, but obviously as a policy, for me, there was no equivocation on that. It makes yeah. it makes no sense. I, I don't see the benefit of that. We Now, mind you, we do have to. It's very, very important to be um, uh, very good on the crime issue, victims of crime. You talk to people who live in a lot of communities overtaken by crime, such an important issue, but you got to be smart about it, right? And with all due respect, that was an awful policy, obviously. But what about like when me as a reporter, if I, if I get sniff around and I say, oh, there's another DOJ yeah. um, investigation and I bring it to you, um, my understanding is that you're not supposed to talk to me about it anymore. Like yes. you were asked so, to do that. Like how does that square with you as, as, as far as, the fact that you on council as a legislative yeah. arm of the city have to interface with the constituents and talk. And that's a really good question. So, I mean, when when you're a representative of the city and you can make a statement that could ultimately, you know, bear against that the city in court, you should handle with care. I say that as an attorney, right? There's a lot of things that happen before city council where I go, you know, because uh, on issues like that, because as an attorney, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in that regard. But that doesn't mean, though, that on the principle at hand that you can't say this is the principle that controls on whatever issue may be and and, and you, you know, stick to your values on it. On the specific allegations, it, it all depends on where the lawsuit is, et cetera. How and, are, oh, go ahead. Oh, just last question in, the, no, in, in that line. You know, I always describe you as a calm, measured, really thoughtful yeah. person, perhaps the most thoughtful and calm, measured person um, on that dais. Um, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, you crime-free housing, calling the mayor's office saying, listen, I'm coming out yeah. against this. And this is kind of inf- inside baseball here, mm-hmm. but you and your cohorts, you can't really talk to each other sure. outside of the chambers. Um, but can you shed some light on the process of being approached by anyone from the administration mm-hmm. ahead of votes or issues that do come to council? Like, what does yeah. that happen? What do those meetings look like? Does yeah. just somebody just knock so, on your door? A lot of times, you know, the mayor's people will meet with you and say, hey, look, we're going to do X, Y, Z. For example, the budget, perfect example. Met with me on the budget. This is what we're going to do. 
I said, no, this is what I want to do. I want to scale y'all's thing back 70%, right? There's times when you say yes. A lot of people like to paint it with, with Mayor Castro as if like she gets you in a corner and is like, this is what I want. No, Mayor Castro, and again, there's times I've agreed with her. There's times I've disagreed with her. She's a very nice lady. She's very professional. She's got a servant's heart, et cetera, et cetera. I've never had that issue at all with the mayor's office. But there is lobbying. I mean, look, there. So she's when she and I served our heart together, she couldn't lobby me on transportation issues because of sunshine. Um, but she is allowed to lobby, and that's a power the mayor has. And and no matter who's mayor, right, they're going to use that because they'd be foolish not to. There was, a, there was a lot of tumult on the city council and, and relations with the mayor yeah. in the last uh, term, I guess you could say. Uh, John Dinkfelder, the co-host yeah. of the show before us, um, the Down and Dirty, uh, he, of course, has no, you know, lost mm-hmm. his position there um, due to some things that were going on there. You also had Orlando Goods who was mm-hmm. involved with something. He mm-hmm. lost a very close uh, bid for re-election. Uh, Bill Carlson was in the uh, target of fire from uh, from. Who, who knows, officially, uh, he was considered to be somebody else who he wasn't, uh, even though some media publications said he thought that he was. Um, you were a bystander and all that. You were not directly involved in all that. There were, you know, some hot and heavy city council meetings during that whole time. Um, what, what, just, what, I don't know how to ask you the question because I know you want to be politic here amongst your <laughs> colleagues, as it were. Um, but, uh, you know, how do you, how do you feel some of those things went down? Well, I'll tell you, the inclusion of lawsuits obviously um, escalates things. It puts the temperature very, very high without commenting on individual cases of litigation. And they're very, very troubling uh, on, on a number of levels. Um, you know, it kind of changed the game in city council. It really, really did. Again, no matter where you stood in, in all three cases being very, very different on many, many levels, I wish all the people in, in there involved um, uh, in terms of my colleagues on council well. Everybody brought, like I said, in the old city council, everybody brought something so important to the table. John, who we just saw, you know, uh, always spoke his heart on a lot of issues. So did Councilman Goods, um, um, uh, Councilman uh, uh, Carlson, obviously a big fighter who just went through one hell of a really tough re election, et cetera. But it really escalates things. And it kind of, I think, caused people maybe to think twice before entering into that arena again. Because again, it's an escalation. And, you know, my job, I think, as a Tampa City Councilman right now is to help us to look at the future. We have so many pivotal issues here in the city of Tampa, so many pivotal issues, and making sure that we don't have continued escalation unnecessary sometimes you got to bring it on sometimes there's escalation that's got to happen right but is that we can move forward because we have such pressing issues with growth here in the city of tampa uh, uh so very many different issues that we have to look what is on. what do you hear from the, your constituents the most i mean i know affordable housing has been a huge issue the last few years here the lack thereof and i know the mayor's you know i think ten thousand units has been her yeah. goal by the end of her second term um how's that going and and what else do you hear out there from so your the biggest issue that i hear from, if I could summarize it, is probably growth and the city of Tampa's failure to positively, adequately respond to that growth, which is we build, 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 whether it's south of Gandy, New Tampa, wherever it may be, you know, South Tampa, they're, they're obviously up with a lot of different challenges, but we don't build the infrastructure for that growth. Things like roads, um, things like public safety. I mean, you take a look at areas like uh, downtown. They had one fire station 30 years ago, and now you've literally built like a small city there, and they still have one fire station there. New Tampa, the longest response times in the city of Tampa. South of Gandy continued challenges. East Tampa, Sulphur Springs, all over. So the big issue is we build, 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 but yet we 
don't have the corresponding uh, investments for that with infrastructure. I think the answer to that lies with two things. Number one, not to bring up the, the, the cringe word again, but AFT. I think <laughs> that's something that's so important. Because again, again, it's all for uh, transportation, yes, yep. which was the ballot measure yep. to spend on transportation that yep. got stopped. Saying that course. we need more revenue uh, for, for our mass transit mass, or, or transportation needs. And then number two is something I've been pushing for that just got funded in the budget, thank God, the public safety master plan. Looking throughout all of our city of Tampa at our public safety needs based on growth, things like response times, call volumes, et cetera, and, and seeing how we can fund that. Having And that's why I proposed that millage, by the way, that small little millage was <laughs> so that we could have a dedicated funding source for these fire stations and public safety amenities. That's very critical. Yeah, I'm, glad, been, I'm uh, glad Mitch brought, uh, brought up uh, this question about voters because I see you out there a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're always shaking yeah, hands. You're always sure. introducing yourself to people. Um, how many people lately are talking about road construction? This seems to be, yeah. yeah uh, it's huge. I, I yeah. was at a Rotary Club meeting this morning and people were griping about the roads. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's the biggest issue. And that's the interesting thing on city council is that, you know, when I got elected, it was 30 days after Donald Trump got elected. And it was hot button issues. The Confederate Memorial, Syrian refugees, the Muslim ban, the Muslim immigration ban, all these different things, right? Now we seem to be dealing with a lot of issues that are just... I don't want to say bread and butter issues, but but issues that are really right or left like the roads. However, to fund those roads, you need more revenue, right? From your Sunday school days, you can't make bricks without straw. And we're doing that right now in the city of Tampa, and it sucks. I want to give you some prompts, by the way, because you have been a strong advocate for civil rights. And you recently were honored by the Tampa Jewish Community Center and sure. Federation yep. Yep. with the Jonathan Ellison uh, Jewish Community Relations Council Award. Yeah. Um, Talk about that, and, sure. and I know, like specifically with that, with our uh, Jewish community right now. Obviously, the anti-Semitism yeah. is, has been you know horrible going on right now uh, in parts. I don't know if we've seen too much of it. Well, there's been parts of that before this recent no. stuff going on in, in Tampa. We've seen or heard about, and and that is a huge issue. So you start with the idea that after the last eight or so years, a lot of things that people used to think or whisper about, they yell out in, in these days. And, and bigotry and all these things have been made acceptable again. And that's certainly true with anti-Semitism. I was reading that in May of this year, the FBI, before October 7th, found that even though American Jews are 2.5% of the population, they took up two-thirds of religiously motivated hate crimes. The FBI found that. October 7th, um, obviously has unleashed a wave of anti-Semitism uh, here in the United States. I see it, and I'll be honest, it really, part of my language, really pisses me off, right? Because you gotta call something that is evil, evil. And and with American Jews, who in my opinion, historically have always been there for people um, who, who are attacked, right? They're being attacked, as I see it right now. Um, and so I've used my voice before October 7th. This award yeah. was done yeah. before October 7th, or, or I think it was originated, whatever. Yeah. But but for me, that's a moral issue. Just like all these other issues that I talked about, the Muslim ban, all these other things, um, the, the, the re- always been a big advocate for refugees, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. All these issues to me are intertwined on, like I say, the things that I learned in Sunday school class. That's it. Question, um, kind of go back to the roads, and mm-hmm. this isn't like a road construction question. <laughs> um, I know you can't exactly comment on what's happening on in transportation, but mm-hmm. I know a lot of reporters are following some allegations of, uh, you know, hostile oh. workplace or unlawful yep. termination there. Um, there's some lawsuits floating around yep. out there. How much have you been hearing, um, I don't know, from constituents or even city employees about practices in Tampa's Human Resources Department? So that lawsuit I can't comment on. Sure. Here comes my, this is why I have a tie on, but that's, that's <laughs> the lawyer part of me. But I really haven't heard anything from uh, 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 constituents on that issue, to be honest. I haven't, you know, I work 
really well with city staff. Nobody's perfect. And again, that's nothing on the lawsuit. I don't mean nothing's perfect with the lawsuit. I mean, nobody's perfect in terms of day-to-day interactions, et cetera. But my interactions with city staff have always been positive. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something that isn't talked about a lot. It used to be a decade ago, and that's Cuba oh, uh, yeah. and Tampa relations <laughs> with Cuba, right? Um, we all know this. Uh, you know, our, our congresswoman here, mm-hmm. Kathy Castro, was one of the champions mm-hmm. of uh, getting the economic, you know, strengthening relations between mm-hmm. the community. Uh, Councilman Vieira, I know that, you know, it, it's been, and then and the Cuban community has been a very uh, mixed, uh, you know, approach, our mm-hmm. thoughts about this. Of course, it's a little bit differently n- now. You know, we had this incident, what was it, last year or a little yeah. over a year ago with the Cuban ambassador? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. yeah, you know that, the, the restaurant incident. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it was interesting because it just the attitudes are different now. And even Congresswoman Castor has kind of backed away from that a little sure. bit. And she told mm-hmm. me that was that the, the 2020, excuse me, uh, July 2021, yep. when they had the activism in Cuba and it was shut down by the Cuban mm-hmm. government. So it's really kind of that momentum that those who, people who um, wanted that to happen, to wanted to have stronger relations. Mm-hmm. You know, they were talking about having a, a, a Cuban consulate in the area here. That's all kind of gone away. Yeah. What? Is, where have you been on this whole issue? So that's a great question. So I'm very passionate about this issue. You know, my parents left Cuba in 1960, and uh, my mother was 11. My father was 16. They're Cuban refugees. So I always say that on on Cuba, in my in my heart, I'm very, I don't know what the word would be used, hawkish, but in my head, I'm more moderate, if that makes sense, which is I've always believed that some level of engagement is 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 not a bad thing, um, but it's got to be done with an end of advocating for liberty and not advocating for cheap Cuban labor. Like I said, when the Chamber of Commerce, I don't mean Tampa, but the National Chamber of Commerce, Troy Donahue, went and met with Raul Castro, they weren't talking about voting rights. They were talking about cheap Cuban labor, and I think that a lot of times... When people advocate for that, it's about business. And for me, it's a moral issue, which is I remember when Jimmy Carter went to Cuba. He visited with political prisoners, et cetera. You know, there there is right now, to call it a hostile environment in Cuba, it is a dictatorship. The people are not in charge of their liberty. And by the way, before 1959, things weren't good either, okay? I'm not one of those folks or whatever. But to I think what really angers a lot of Cuban Americans locally is when, number one, people see Cuba as as, as a bank where they can go, hey, listen, we can make a lot of money here mm-hmm. and they don't give a and, damn and do, about the and do you people. feel that that was what a lot of that even this area was about when when they were trying to restore you know get closer relations yeah so uh, to a degree obviously business plays a role in it but i think ultimately in the end you've got to you know listen to people you've got to listen to their stories and cuban refugees who gave up everything i think all they want in the end is respect and their stories to be respected and listened to, right? I've actually, in 2018, actually went to Cuba with my, yeah, with my mother uh, to visit. She's been since my father died a couple of times. You have to have, if you hold my position, uh, personally, very thick skin to go to a place like Cuba. I was there for two days and whatnot. And um, it's it's a terrible situation there. And I think we have to help in every way that we can. But right now, I think Congresswoman Castro's position is very correct that after the summer of 2021, that illegitimate evil government has essentially lost They've never had moral right, standing, but right. they've ruined the ground that people were trying to stand on. Yeah, I think one of the issues was that it was unfortunate. I think Congresswoman Castro would agree with this: is that they were looking for some re- reciprocity in terms yeah. of like we're going to do this. What do we get back in terms of human relations, human yeah. rights? And there wasn't a lot of that when Obama went over there, you mm-hmm. know. And we're like, we're going to try to build something happen here, you know. We you're not going to change your government overnight. Yeah. But um, can you change a little bit? Yeah. Um, 
And and that really didn't seem to happen. No, and, and, and I don't see it happening when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And that's the way the Cuban government's been. And and it's um, and again, the response to the summer of 2021, I was proud to do a Tampa City Council resolution, which was the first in the state of Florida, many others, including our county commissioners passing seven to zero, passed it condemning the Cuban government. And we don't deal in admittedly in foreign policy in, in the city of Tampa, uh, city council. We largely shouldn't, but I thought this issue was so unique to the history oh, of Tampa. Yeah, one other thing I'm sorry, I want to talk yes. about is that, and, and I'll go back to you, is that um, I did this story right before I left Bay News nine a year ago, you know, with the immigration issue that we're mm-hmm. having, which is like a lot of people have come through the border in the last three years. That's a fact. That's not a criticism of Joe Biden, or maybe yeah. it is, but it's, it's a fact. I believe, and you would know this was more than I, that we probably have more Cubans in the city oh, of Tampa yeah. than we've ever had because oh, yeah. of immigration, because they were going through Nicaragua and then coming through the whole, you know, uh, Central America going up there. And this has been, we've got more Venezuelans, we've got more than we've ever had in Florida, but specifically in, in Tampa, where we've always had a big a Cuban yeah. population, it has really gotten much bigger in the last couple of years. Oh, it's huge. And I, and I talked to a lot of them, whether it's people from Nicaragua fleeing Ortega, people from Venezuela fleeing Maduro and, and before Chavez and now obviously Cuba, we're getting a lot. And politically, we could talk an hour about this, but the Republicans are doing a very good job of reaching out to those folks. And I say that as yeah. the first Democrat in my family, by the way. I was the, the uh, St. Patrick missionary in my family for, for that. And I know we have uh, Tracy calling in pretty soon. I want to sneak in two election questions, yep. Councilman. First, uh, quick, what do you tell somebody, maybe an activist or community organizer who wants to have your job or mm-hmm. the job of one of your cohorts? How do they win? How do they run a campaign? So come from the heart. Always people love authenticity. Come from the heart. Be who you are. Don't be another sequel. Don't be a fraud. And um, and just be involved. And don't let that public office aspiration be the first involvement that you have. And aspiration on, on that note. Will you run for um, the mayor of Tampa here? I declare here today. No, I'm just <laughs> No, I mean, Why look, not? that's 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 far away and 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 it's you three know, years away. Okay, I, so. I, I'd be foolish to I'd I'd be foolish to set aside any discussions, but I'd also be foolish to think that anybody has a leg up in any perspective race. Well, it's so far away that so we'll you're see. saying there's a chance. There you go. <laughs> okay. yeah, well, but also, we say, so let's not let it go here. But but that <laughs> is like if you were because I could see you certainly staying in you know public office sure. uh, in some fashion and. You you probably look more towards staying in the city versus say Tallahassee or yeah or well the, Tallahassee you know and and God love and like Fentress Driscoll is one of my best friends and, and I'm such a big fan of hers it is just very difficult for the uh, Florida Democrats right now in Tallahassee and she does a great job like she's one of our best electeds well let me ask you this too this just came out uh, a couple days ago we have again and I mentioned this a lot in the in the air um, the can continue and including in Tampa and Hillsborough mm-hmm. County of Republicans taking over the state the latest uh, voter voter rolls uh, for the end of November. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe it's 698,000 Republicans, more than Democrats in the state of Florida. Every month it has gone up for the last, well, more than the last two years. Two years ago is when the Republicans superseded Democrats for the first time ever in the history of the state, but it's gone up every month since. And that is, you know, you mentioned this, Ray, about the, you know, county commission and how it became red, you know, uh, in 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, note Tampa itself in the city's continue to probably be a little more Democratic leaning, but the county where uh, has a lot to do with what happens in the city of Tampa is becoming redder. Uh, oh, yeah. And that is a, a reality here. And so, right, for you say Fentress Driscoll and all the folks who the Democrats, the super minority of Democrats that are up there, mm-hmm. um, it's... Um, 
it's definitely tough terrain. I can see why you, you'd rather stay down here. That's you know. Yeah, and, and in Tallahassee, there's things that that you know. Look at the great stuff Ventress does, and, and different folks do uh, up in Tallahassee. Dying Hearts, uh, a bunch of different people here in Tampa. But it's uh, it's it's challenging. Let's just put it that yeah. way. And, and who knows what'll happen? Right. right you never right. know. You never know. Okay. Well, so if you could hang around for a few yes, minutes, sir. we're going to segue here. We're going to bring in our guest here. Uh, let's see. Let me make sure I get bring her up here. Okay. Uh, we've is, we have uh, Tracy McManus here. Tracy, are you there? Yeah, hi, how are you? All right, uh, give this to Ben in a minute, but this is Tracy McManus, a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. Tracy, you cover Clearwater, Scientology, <laughs> Pinellas County. Is that is that your, basically your beat? Yep, that's right, local government. Okay, great. Okay, so um, Ben. And Tracy had a story on uh, in Wednesday's paper that re- reported at least eight elected f- officials in Pinellas County municipalities of Bel Air Beach, Bel Air, Bel Air Bluffs, Indian Rocks Beach, and Seminole have left office or will resign by the time a new law takes effect on January 1st, which requires them to submit more extensive financial disclosure forms than they have in the past. Tracy, fill us in. What's going on here? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, We published our story online on Tuesday that, as you said, reported there were about eight um, elected officials in small towns in Pinellas that resigned before January 1st, which is when this law takes effect, in order to avoid having to file the more extensive financial disclosures. And actually, since our story published online on Tuesday, there's been at least five more resignations in some other cities, like Dade City, Reddington Shores, Indian Shores, St. Pete Beach, another resignation, Indian Rock Beach. And, you know, these are the smaller municipalities um, in our area. And um, the law was passed this year, and it was signed into law by Governor DeSantis in, in May. And um, prior to the law change, uh, elected officials in towns and cities used to file a Form 1 financial disclosure which listed, you know, their income, assets, liabilities, but on a lesser extent. It didn't have actual dollar amounts. Um, It didn't require, you know, assets and liabilities under $10,000. This law change requires um, elected officials in these small towns and cities to file a Form 6, which is the same form that's filed by higher office holders like county commissioners, state legislators, and the governor. And um, the law was actually passed with bipartisan support and um but it was opposed by the florida league of cities which warned that they expected you know this would have a huge impact on on local governments because as it is before the law changed as you know if you if you follow local government it's hard to get people to run for these smaller offices and uh the florida league of cities warns that um this added requirement this added burden of disclosure would just prevent people from running in the first place especially for offices that don't pay very much if at all and um, I spoke with the Senator Broder, who sponsored the bill, and, you know, he said it was a matter of transparency, that these, these people are elected to office, they're responsible for taxpayer dollars, and they deserve the same kind of scrutiny and transparency that other elected officials have. The new law requires uh, these folks to fill out Form 6, as you reported, which asks them to disclose net worth and the dollar amount of assets, liabilities and income over $1,000. In some cases, officials who own more than 5% of a business must name clients and customers that make up more than 10% of the venture's income. Is this just a matter of more work? Uh, or does this, or are, they, are they having to pay, pay CPAs to, to, take, to take care of these forms? Yeah, that's one of the issues. I mean, um, a lot of people that are having to fill out these forms, you know, they have to hire CPAs to help them out because it can get technical. It can get confusing. Um, 
one elected official I interviewed who is resigning, um, Jim Oliver in Seminole, you know, he, um, before he was elected to office there in Seminole in 2019, he served as the provost of St. Petersburg College's Seminole campus. He spent 40 years in higher education. And, you know, he said having to um, disclose, you know, every minutia of his personal finances, he asked some questions because he was confused about maybe what was required, what isn't. Because the, the form is a little confusing and the direction for it isn't very clear. And he called the State Commission on Ethics and asked her direction on, like, hey, I have a coin collection in my house. I'm not really sure what it's valued at. It's worth something. And he has timeshares, that kind of thing. And he wasn't clear how to value those things. He told me he couldn't really get a clear answer on that. And, you know, there's there's a penalty for um, this is the law. There's a penalty for not filling out the form correctly. So he uh, just said it's not worth the risk. And um Tom Trask is a, a city attorney here in Pinellas County. His law firm represents about 13 municipalities as city attorney. And he said he's hearing from folks, too, that they're just afraid of the blowback. They're afraid of the risk of filling it out incorrectly. They're afraid of the exposure that, you know, it could present to them. And it's not necessarily worth, worth it when, like I said earlier, you know, these people don't get paid very much or at all. Um, what are they so, making? What, what's the what's the going rate for a let's say a town councilman in in you know Bel Air? It it really varies. Yeah. But Bel Air, for example, they get a stipend every month to kind of cover expenses. It's about one hundred and fifty dollars a month for Bel Air town town council. Mm. A, a, a little bit larger city like Seminole, um, their city council members are paid nine thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, San Antonio is a small town in Pasco County. I think it's like 1,400 people. They had a couple of resignations on their board, and their board is paid $50 a month stipend, so not very much. Councilman Vieira, since we've got you, do you have any experience with this Form 6? Oh, do you yeah, know what we're talking yeah. about? And, and good to hear from Tracy, and you always do great work. Um, thank you. Th- no, thank you. And, uh, yeah, no, I've had to fill that. I remember the first time I filled one out, it was, I think, as a candidate. I called up Mike Suarez, who was not city council, and a good friend of mine, and I said, what is this? You know, so it is, maybe the law should have given these folks more time. You know, who knows? But, yeah, no, it, it's, it's uh, it can be challenging for a lot of people. Have you heard that yet, Tracy? Is this an issue of time? They don't have time to get to this by January 1st? Or is it more of, you know, just the refusal to submit themselves to... Um, you know, open uh, finances. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a matter of timing because the law was, or the bill was signed into law in May. So mm. they, they've had plenty of heads up mm. on, on doing this. But um, it's changing the rules in the middle of the game for a lot of elected officials. Some some of these elected officials, uh, you know, still have a year or two left in their term. So the rule is changing in the middle of their term. It's not what they signed up for when they were elected. Um, so it's kind of changing the rules as, as they're in office. Um, I'm hearing more of that. You know, it's interesting in terms of the public reaction to this. Uh, Tracy, I was looking on your Twitter feed at some of the responses when you posted your story about this. Not very sympathetic from some people. Uh, one person <laughs> wrote, they are quitting over a form and make it sound like it is not worth it. It was only about the power. I wonder what they are really hiding or protecting. Another person writes, I agree with DeSatan about over this. Uh, I think it meant DeSantis. There's no reason people with control over millions of taxpayer funds shouldn't complete a form others already do. Another person, bye. Sorry, politicians don't like accountability. So not a lot of sympathy for some folks out there. Yeah, I've heard from a lot of readers on this story, and that's, I think, the majority of what I'm hearing is people are not sympathetic over this. They're saying, look, if, if you're going to be in elected office, 
You're going to be representing citizens. You're going to be spending taxpayer dollars and having authority over over taxpayer dollars. I mean, you should be accountable, and uh, the public has a right to know about someone's background, their financial interests, and, um, you know, that's kind of the point of um, public disclosure. And you kind of alluded to this in your story, Tracy, but as these people vacate these offices, sometimes there's not people to run for them. Um, what is what is the process for the municipality as far as filling that seat? And then in, in a broader sense, you know, talking to a newspaper reporter here, what does this these changes and these resignations and, and what happens to this idea, this broad thing of democracy and, and representation um, as a result of, of the fallout from this law? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months because several of these cities are um, either have already made appointments to fill the vacancies or they're going to have to make appointments to fill the vacancies um, until to, to basically have people finish out the unexpired terms of the officials who resign. And then once the term is up at their next election, whenever that falls, you know, they're going to have to have new candidates to run for those seats. And I'm hearing people are very concerned that, A, they're not going to be able to find people to even accept the appointment to finish the term. And then once the term is up and the election comes around, there's going to be fewer people than there already were running for these seats because, you know, it's a time commitment. It's um, pressure. It's, it's an obligation. It's a responsibility. They don't get paid a lot, if anything. If anything. And um, it's a big ask to get people to step up and run for local office. So. We're, we're definitely going to be following the story. We're going to be seeing over the next few months, like how the appointments are being handled, who signs up to run for these seats when they come up for elections. So it's going to be very interesting. Is there an opening for me to just start a business filling out these forms for local people so I can get my job here? <laughs> I think you're onto something, yeah. Is, is, uh, was Senator uh, Broder uh, from Sanford, who sponsored this legislation, was he surprised to hear that there were resignations, that people were dropping out as quickly as they have been? Um. He was unsympathetic, and you yeah. know, as we quoted him in the story, he he basically said that if people are resigning over having to fill out this form, then then voters should be glad about that. But like I said earlier, the bill did pass the legislature with with overwhelming bipartisan support. So this wasn't really like a a, a Republican thing, and um, a lot of people are looking at this as yet another example of the state legislature imposing on home rule the autonomy of cities to be able to make their own decisions. Um, this particular case was pretty bipartisan, though. Uh, forgive me for pivoting here. I, I don't get to talk to you um, that often, Tracy, but obviously you're really strong reporting on the Church of Scientology. Um, every time I'm downtown Clearwater, I, I pull up your reporting and that map that, that you and the Times pulled up that showed, you know, who owns which which property. You've been at it for a long time. You've been button heads with a really powerful um, entity. Um, what's that like for you? Like personally, what has that kind of reporting taught you um, about yourself? And, and how have you been able to kind of hold up? Because I'm, I'm sure that it's not easy as far as this, the message and things you receive on the back end? Yeah. Well, it's, that's a very interesting question. We could have a whole other conversation about <laughs> that. But um, I think what it's taught me is not to get all cheesy and sentimental about local journalism, but I think it, it has proven to me again the importance of local journalism because we, as a, as a newspaper, we believe in holding institutions accountable and shining a light on information that the public has a right to know. And this is a very, you know... Um, powerful institution in the Clearwater community that is impacting downtown and we have been dedicated to showing showing that and um, for me personally um, you know I'm not deterred by the harassment I receive online from the organization but um, it 
you know, we, we believe in what we're doing very much. And um, it's always nice to hear from, you know, people like you guys, uh, other readers about people appreciating the reporting. So that keeps us going, too. And one other question, uh, Tracy, I know that you uh, do uh, cover Clearwater. Um, let me ask you this. Why did Frank Hibbard quit as mayor of Clearwater? Because his explanation never made sense to me. Yeah, it was that was a shocker. <laughs> um, I mean, his stated reason um, when he resigned, and also I interviewed him a few days later and went through it all. And there were there were tensions on the council that were building before that day that he resigned. Um, but I think the, the final straw was that he and the council had been talking about budget priorities, um, and the his, the his other four colleagues had said that building a new city hall with a combined municipal center was their top priority. At that time, the staff rough, very rough estimate for it was about $90 million. That is not the final cost. The cost now that they've um, gone through more of the evaluation of it, it's lower than that. Um, but the council members wanted to proceed in exploring, you know, going forward on that project. That for him was the final straw mm. because he saw it as just like, like a split in their philosophy that he just it was untenable for him to keep going, and he just thought that that um, philosophy wasn't compatible with him being the mayor anymore, and that's what prompted him to step down. And he did confirm to us that it was like an on the spot decision. He wasn't planning mm. to resign that meeting. It was mm. on the spot. You know, I was uh, just, we don't spend a lot of time talking about Clearwater, but I was running across the causeway not long ago, and uh, and uh, over my right shoulder was the sound at Coachman Park, this sort of new uh, yeah. park. Have, tell us about that, Tracy. What's, what's going on with that? Yeah, um, so the renovated Coachman Park and the sound venue opened June 28th. It's an $84 million investment from the city. It totally renovated the old Coachman Park that y'all might remember. Um, you know, it added um, a playground, walking paths, um, a big green space, uh, a promenade along the water. It's a really impressive park. And then it also has this venue, The Sound, which is an outdoor amphitheater. It has um, 4,000 seats under a canopy and an additional 5,000 lawn seats. And the city entered a contract with Bruce Eckerd Hall to manage and run that venue for the city. Mm. And so it's been operating since summer, and um, it, it seems to be a success. I mean, there's been shows there. We're actually working on a story now about, like, what has the, the first six months of that venue been like? So keep an eye out for, for that. But um the city has a lot of hope for that venue and the park to be kind of, you know, an, an attractor for people to come downtown and enjoy the space. And, of course, that is complicated by the property ownership downtown, where there are many, many properties in the downtown area surrounding Coachman Park that are have been bought since 2017 by limited liability companies managed by Scientology parishioners that are, that are being held vacant. So... There's a lot of unknowns there, but the park is a, a very hopeful spot for the city. We'll keep watching the pages of the Tampa Bay Times for your fine reporting on all of that. We appreciate you joining us. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
All right. Thank you very much. And I want to say before we let it go here, uh, David wrote in, he says uh, about Tracy's stories that those politicians are quitting are cowards. I think it's kind of sketchy that they're scared <laughs> of transparency. Uh, we also had somebody writing about Cuba, but uh, Councilman Luis Vieira, thank you so much yes, for coming sir. into the studio this afternoon. Thank you guys for having me. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you. Thanks thank for you. always making time for, for us. And, and just on a side note, thanks for the op-eds on Willie oh, Nelson man. and uh, Bruce Springsteen. And my man and Bruce. I know. And creative loafing. <laughs> yep, my man. Um, on behalf of my Myself, Ray Roa, to my left, Mitch Perry, to my right, Ben Montgomery, Skip Sassy's on the boards, Irene on the phones. Please stay tuned to WMNF Tampa because art in your ear with the hostess who loves you the mostest, Joellen Shilke, is coming up next. Uh, we'll see you before Christmas one more time. Uh, yeah, I won't be here, guys, so Merry Christmas to you. I'll see you in two weeks. All right, Mitch, Santa Claus, he brought us gifts today, so thanks, man. <laughs>